Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. First Corinthians chapter 10, we have been talking about taking heed, right? Taking heed lest we fall. And uh, this idea is important for us as a ministry because I think so many of us fail to be self-aware, okay? Um, There's going to come a point where I I, I have to stop using shepherd illustrations (laughs) because he's getting old enough now where if he catches wind, he'll be bummed at me. So I got to be real careful. So he's, you know, he's 11 years old now, but, but because he's 11 years old and, uh, you know, he hasn't hit puberty yet, kind of thank God, um, he's a little, he's, he's clumsy still, right? He's like moves around, he's tall, everybody sees him and they think, oh, well, he's, he's got to be like seventh or eighth grade. No, he's just tall and lanky and goofy. And so we, we talk all the time about um, being self-aware, know, know where your body's at. Like, it's not appropriate for you to kind of, like, just hang on things until they break, right? When he was real young, I don't know if some of you remember when, especially when the guys would come over to our house, he would run. I think he did this to Alex a lot. He'd run and just, like, jump on people and hang on them. And, and now that he's 11, that hasn't really changed. And, and it's because he's not self-aware. He's not aware of the impact that his body and his life has on other people, you know? And the truth is, you know, y'all are in your, you know, mid-20s, you know, your, your quarter-life individuals. And the truth is, you're, you, are, you are just, a, you lack self-awareness too. You're just as awkward and um, unaware of, of life as my son. And uh, I think it's absolutely critical for us to learn to take heed. That's what this portion of our sermon series in, in Corinthians has been about, is learning to take heed of our lives. Why? Why? Because we need to become self-aware and learn how to make changes necessary in order to protect us from falling prey to Satan. Because if we don't, if we don't become diligent in terms of looking at ourselves objectively, then we will continue to lie to ourselves about the nature of our reality. I mean, there's a lot of us that lie about all kinds of things. Like, why is, why is it that no one's entrusting me in ministry? Why, why is it that no one has, has yet given me the opportunity to disciple? Why is it that, that no one asks me to do X, Y, Z? Well, maybe, okay, this is, this, these are hard words, okay? And I, look, I knew when we started studying 1 Corinthians, I knew I was going to have to say some stuff uh, that some of y'all aren't ready for, but that's okay, you'll catch up. Um, there's a reason Right? There's, a, there's a reason that people can't entrust you with ministry. There's a, there's a reason no one's asking you to house sit for them or babysit their children. It's, be, it's because maybe, maybe there are some things in your worth, life worth working out before the Lord. Right? There's some maturing that needs to take place. And the thing is, we can't do that unless we learn how to look at God's word and allow it to be the mirror it needs to be. We, we need it to, to expose to us the flaws and the failures in our life. Not, not because God has a checklist for our lives and if we don't meet all these expectations that he's going to reject us. That's not why. 
The reason why is because he deserves for us to be mature. He deserves for us to live lives that are honoring him. He deserves for us to be focused on our character because we, he desires for our character to look like Christ. And so this is why we take heed. Now, today, we're going to consider what it means to take heed in order to prevent other people from falling into sin. That's what we're going to focus on. And so here's our question. Apparently, there's a PowerPoint issue. All right. Got it? So I'm going to read, I'm going to read the question to you, and I need you to, to write it down and follow along. So here's the question for today's sermon. Does my behavior, does my behavior impact the faith of those around me in a negative way? Does my behavior impact the faith of those around me in a negative, in a negative way? In our world, we live such self-gratifying lives. We are, so, we are so affected by the Corinth of our world. Corinth has so permeated the cultural aspects of who we are that we have become just as selfish, as Christians have become just as selfish as the, the world is. And we live self-gratifying lives. And the idea of living for other people, preferring others over ourselves, altering our lives in order to take care of other people's spiritual well-being, all of this is foreign to us because we're busy putting ourselves first, which is why we need to, to study this and to reflect on it today. And so let's pray, and then we'll get into to verse 23, okay? Yeah? Let's pray for that PowerPoint, okay? Dear Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we love you. We thank you. Uh, we thank you for this time. I thank you for my brothers and sisters that are gathered here. It's foggy and cloudy out. Uh, everybody's cough. Alex won't stop coughing in the front row. And, um, and, and that we're, we're all, you know, maybe feeling under the weather or out of it a little bit. But God, I pray that in this moment, you'd cause us to, to engage and you'd cause us to, to, to focus that we might consider, that we might take heed and that we might be able to properly see ourselves in light of your word. Uh, we need your help with that. We can't, we can't. there's no way in, in the power of our flesh that we can fix all the failures of our life. There's no way we can do that. We've tried that and it doesn't work. And so we're asking for your help. We're asking for your spirit to move in us and to make something of us that we could never make of ourselves on our own. And so Lord, um, we pray today that we would we would begin to consider our ways, not just for the sake of ourselves, but for the sake of the people that we love around us and those we seek to influence with the gospel. And so teach us how to be responsible with our behaviors and our actions that we might put others before ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, let's read, starting in verse 23. You good, bro? You need this? I have one. Okay, all right. All right, verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no, let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and ye, ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before ye, uh, you ask, or sorry, before you eat, asking no questions for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for, for conscience sake. 
For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I, by grace, be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Okay, so let's back up just a second. Corinth was a huge city, right? Famous for wickedness. It was like the Las Vegas of its day. It was like New Orleans and, uh, and you know, Amsterdam, but, but on steroids. It was like one of these places. And, and sexual sin and drunkenness and violence uh, was commonplace in this urban city. And we've discussed all this before. But it was teeming with idolatry, right? It was teeming with, with vile and evil affections. And because of this, as Christianity grew in Corinth, believers struggled to know how to engage in a, in a community where sinful activity was all around them. Don't, don't we struggle with that too, right? We, we sometimes struggle know how, knowing how to live in a world where sin is all around us, it's cultural, and it affects us everywhere we go. We can't, you know, we can't get on our phones or we can't, we can't go out in public without encountering wickedness in some way. And it begins to affect us. And how to navigate that is sometimes lost on us. And that's what they faced. That's the issue they faced here in Corinth. Now, the specific issue facing the Corinthian church was the issue of whether or not Christians should sit down with friends and family and eat a meal that had been offered to idols. That's the question on the table. That's what they're grappling with here in 1 Corinthians. And as we learned last week, that despite the fact that idols had no spiritual authority, despite the fact that meat and what they ate was not mystical or powerful in any way, the association with that meal was a problem. It was a problem. The associations that they had were, were a problem because they needed to rid themselves they needed to refine their lives. They needed to, to, to purge out the ways in which their, their culture had affected them, the sin issues that they were encountering all the time. They needed to learn how to sift through that, and so do we. Why? Because our associations have implications. The associations that we have in our life, they have implications. How we use our time, what we spend our time doing, who we hang out with what we eat, what we drink. These things have implications for our life. And often our flippant regard for, the, for these associations cause greater harm than we may realize. A lot of times these things that we do that are just monotonous aspects of our life, the, the way we spend our time, we think of it as no big deal. But all the while, it's, it's, it's affecting us in small ways. It's, it's harming our heart. It's har harming our mind. It's affecting our ministry. And we don't even know it because we're so flippant in the way that we see things. It could cause our own faith harm. It could cause our worship harm. But it could harm others' faith as well. And this potential for harming others is the next consideration in Paul's letter. He makes a statement here that's going to guide us principally through the text today. And in verse 23, he says the following, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me. What does that mean? What's that statement mean? 
So here's the deal. The grace of Jesus Christ, it set us free. Amen? The grace of Christ has set us free, free from sin. We're free from sin. We put our faith in Jesus. We declare him our Lord. We acknowledge the power of his death, burial, and resurrection to to, to cleanse us of sin, and we are free from it. So the sin that had once bound us to death, that was the consequence. Romans 5.12, that sin had bound us to death. No longer has power over us. It it no longer has power over my life. Check out how Paul addresses this in chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15.55 says, O death, where is thy sting? I can't wait to preach this later on. It'll probably take us another year and a half to get there. But I can't wait to get here. Listen to what it says. O death, death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Listen, the sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. So now I'm, I'm going to present some logic to you guys. You guys, did you guys ever have to take logic in college? Yes. Yes? I had to take logic at UMKC. I think it like falls somewhere between the philosophy, debar- philosophy department and the, the math department, right? If you take math and, and you take philosophy and put them together, you get logic and reasoning. And so all the statements that you make are st- statements of information that are intended to cause a conclusion, right? And so I'm going I'm to draw a conclusion here from this passage. So according to verse 56, and this should be in our next slide, the sting of death is sin. Isn't that what it says? The sting of death is sin. But the strength of sin is the law. So then the logic goes like this. If God has set me free from death, and he has set me free from sin then he has also set me free from the law. Does that make sense? And the law, if we're going to define the law, the law being the demand of being subject to the mandates of the Old Testament. The demand of being subject to the mandates of the Old Testament. A believer freed from death is a believer freed from the caveats and the regulations that once declared him a sinner. I don't know if you guys are familiar, but there's a passage in Galatians chapter 3 that declares that the law of the Old Testament was a schoolmaster for us. Now, what does that mean? What it means is that the law of the Old Testament was always intended to do one thing, and that was expose your sin. The The only value that it actually brought to our lives, because the law can't set us free from sin, being good doesn't make you right before a holy God. Being good and behaving well does not make you holy. You might look holy. It doesn't make you holy. And so as a schoolmaster, the law's intention was always just to expose our failures for what they were. They were it was always just intended to declare us sinners. And so it does have value. Because you needed something to make it clear to you that you were whack. That you were were messed up, that there was something wrong with your heart. You needed something to declare that, and the law did that for you. The commandments not only gave you the character of who God was, but that character in contrast to your life is a reflecting mirror that shows you that you're in need of a Savior. That's what it does. But, But what's important for us to understand and consider from the statement is that 
Now as a believer, now as a Christian, all things are lawful for me. Why? Because I am no longer bound to a system that measures the severity of my failure. I'm no longer bound to that system. I've been set free. I've been made whole. I've been made new. I saw my sin for what it was, and I dealt with it. And so I'm no longer bound to that system. Okay, now, here's the greater truth involved with that. We needed to see that all things are lawful for me, right? Like, I've been set free from my mistakes, and and, I, and God's given me liberty. He set me free. But why? To what end? So here, here's the greater truth worth exploring today. It's this. I am not just set free from something. I'm set free to something. I'm not just set free from the nature of my old man. I am not just set free from death. I am not just set free from sin, and I am not just set free from the system of the law. I'm not just set free from those things. I'm set free to something. And so here's our key point. Our freedom is freedom unto Christ, and with Christ his will. Our freedom, the freedom that God has given us, the liberty that he's given us, is freedom unto him, to know him, to love him, and to love the things that he loves. I'm no longer bound to a system, but I am bound to a savior. And my savior has declared me to be morally obligated to two important things. Are you with me? Are you guys following with me? Yes. This is a, I'm not trying to be heady or abstract. Like, I want this to make sense. And it's going to get, you know how I do. It's going to get real practical near the end, right? <laughs> so if you stay with me, it'll get really practical then. But this, this is doctrine that we need to hold on to. This is critical stuff. I'm no longer bound to a system, the system of the law. I am now bound to a savior, my friend. Yeah. We, we have to get that. But with my savior... Okay, with that friendship, I am now morally obligated to do two things, to live, live within two realities that he's given to me, and that is this, to be absolutely dedicated to the mission that he's dedicated to. So if the first obligation is my mission, I am to live in such a way that honors his desire to establish a kingdom. Does that make sense? He's my savior and he's my friend. And morally, because I'm, I'm a debtor, <laughs> I'm a debtor to him and I'm a debtor to all men. Because of that, I am bound to his mission. And the other thing is this, I am also bound to my community. And by community, I mean it in the biblical sense, neighbor. I'm bound to my neighbor. And that that means the community of mankind. That that means my my lost friends at work. That That means people in my classroom. That means my family members. Anyone that you find yourself in proximity to, in relation with, that's your neighbor. And guess what? 
Because of what the Savior did for you, you're bound to honor those relationships and to live in such a way that reflects what you know about Jesus Christ. You're morally obligated. That's who you are now. Now, read how uh, Paul magnifies this point in verse 23. He says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. Okay, this phrase, but all things are not expedient, is a moral declaration with implications for our life. The word expedient means profitable or beneficial. So to recontextualize this in terms of our story and where we're at in the chapter, Christians in Corinth knowingly eating meat offerings that were offered up to false gods was completely lawful in terms of God's economy of grace. You get that, right? So, I mean, the, the meat, it's nothing. It's nothing. We already covered that ground, right? And so according to God's economy of grace, Eating those meat offerings, it's nothing. Eating a steak that was offered to Apollo had no bearing on their position before their Savior. You understand that, right? But it wasn't profitable or beneficial. It wasn't profitable or beneficial. Why not? Paul clarifies all things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Ah, so that's the insight we needed, actually. See, the implication here is that just because something is lawfully acceptable before God does not mean we should engage in that activity. Why? Because it's not profitable to the edification of other people. So the measurement for every activity in our lives is not, can I get away with this? Which is the way, if we're honest, in our subconscious, that's the way we, we engage with the world. Like, is this going to be good for me? And can I get away with it? Can I get away with it? That's the way we look at things. No, it's not, can I get away with this? It's, does this strengthen others' faith or hinder it? Does what I do affect other people in, in, in such a way that their faith would be hindered? In other words, Paul's saying, take heed, lest ye cause others to fall. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> Just because you can do something according to the grace of God, according to your liberty, does not mean that you should. So what we must learn is that liberty prefers others. Liberty prefers others. Read verse 24. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Okay, that word wealth is not referring to the financial goodness of another person. It means well-being. So we can read it this way. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's well-being. 
So this is the paradigm shift that moves us from a position of selfish thinking to a position of selfless thinking. This is, this is the paradigm shift that we need. And so here's our key point that follows along with that. Our liberty in Christ should benefit everyone around us. The liberty that Jesus Christ has given us. Now, and I, and I want to recognize, I do want to be somewhat nuanced here because I'm not addressing your specific issues. Because just like last week with idolatry, I don't know what your associations are. I don't really know what the little idols that are hiding away in your closets are. And I have no desire to really speak into that. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And so you should be reflecting. You should be taking heed. And you should be considering what aspects of my life are areas of potential vulnerability. Okay, and so this is circumstantial, like because there's things that you can do when you're at home that you might not be able to do in public. It's circumstantial. Why? Because the rule that's guiding us is this one. Our liberty should benefit everyone around us. And so liberty is this thing that God's given us that's flexible, that's intended to meet every circumstance and every need based on who you're surrounded with. So in one culture and in one setting, you might be able to do this one thing, but in another culture and another setting, you might not be able to do that. And we've talked about this before. This is the reason why Blade Spisa cut his hair before he went to India. Why, why, why? Well, because he knew it might be an offense to the Indians that he would encounter because culturally, it's a problem there. But culturally here, it's not a problem. Liberty. Liberty makes us flexible. Because principally speaking, it causes us to consider how what we do affects other people for good or for bad. Are you guys following along with me? So I think this is personified well in in the story of David and the Amalekites. Okay, so we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 30 here for a second. And I love this story. This is one of my favorite stories in 1 Samuel. It's so powerful. And if I, if I preach it, I'm going to cry. So I'm not going to preach it. I'm just going to, I'm going to regurgitate the story to you, and I'm going to draw a principle from it, okay? So in 1 Samuel chapter 30, um, this is where David and his men have been, def- you know, they're away doing other escapades. And when they return, the, they find that the Amalekites had come and stolen away their their wives and children. And man, it's it's not good. Like David's men are so upset with him, they want to stone him. And David, David is just broken. I mean, he is so broken before the Lord and he goes and he prays and he says, God, what do I do do here? And and God says to him, look, go pursue. Go pursue in faith and I'm going to have everything returned to you. Just go. And so, so David goes with 600 soldiers. And you can, ima- can you imagine the scene if it was a movie? I mean, it's, this is so movie perfect. These guys are on a dead run. They're on a dead sprint to catch up with the Amalekites who've got, who knows, a day's journey ahead of them. And these guys are in a dead sprint to go, to go recapture their wives and children. Crazy. Now, they're moving so quickly that 200 of these men, they, get, they grow exhausted. They can't continue on. I mean, their legs are probably shaky and they're probably feeling sick and they know that they just can't continue on. And so 200 men remain behind at this brook and they guard some of the stuff 
because they need to lighten their packs. They've got to lighten their load because they've got to move. And so these guys stay back with the stuff and they hang out at the brook because they're no longer capable of going on. And so 400 men continue pursuing and they catch the Amalekites. And the beauty of the story is that they end up defeating the Amalekites and every woman and every child is saved. And beyond that, God blesses them by giving them all of the livestock of the Amalekites. We're talking about probably thousands of head of livestock. I mean, enough to make David rich for the rest of his life. This is what they walk away with. Now, now this is where, our, where for us, the story picks up. We've got to consider what plays out here because they have to ask themselves, what do we do with God's blessing to us? What do we do with it? I mean, now that we've recovered everything, we've, uh, we know, we've got more than we could ever imagine. We've got our wives back. We've got our children back. Everything is good. Our hearts are restored. But God has blessed us in this way. Now, what do we do with this blessing of all of this livestock? Listen to how this, this plays out here. Verse 21, and David came to the 200 men, which were so faint that they could not follow David, whom they had made also to abide at the brook Basor, and they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. Then answered all the wicked men and men of Belial, of those that went with David and said, because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered, save to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. So they should be happy with the fact that we, we recovered their wives and children. They should be happy with that. But because they didn't continue on in battle with us, they don't get to participate or partake of the blessing of God. Then said David, David, ye shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be uh, that tarried by the stuff. They shall part alike. And it was so from that day forward that he made it a statute and ordinance for Israel unto this day. And when David came to Ziklag, he sent of the spoil unto the elders of Judah, even to his friends saying, behold, a present for you of the spoil of the enemies of the Lord to them which were in Bethel, and to them, to them which were uh, in South Ramoth, and to them which were in Jatir, and to them which were in Aror, and to them which were in Sifmoth, and they which were in Eshtemoah, and to them which were in Rachel, and to them which were in the cities of the Jeremilites. This is, this is so much fun. And to them which were in the cities of the Kenites, and to them which were in, the, in, in uh, Hormah, and to them which were in uh, Chorashan, and to them which were in Atak, and to them which were in Hebron, and to all the places where David himself and his men were wont to haunt. Okay. Now, what does that mean? It means that be because God, in his grace, had blessed David and his men, that anywhere they went, they were prepared to bless the people there. And that, my friends, is what grace and liberty is for. That's what it's for. God has given us grace without measure, amen? He's given us so much. What do you possibly need? What kind of liberty do you need to hold up for yourself that, 
some sort of mechanism for self-gratification? What is it that you can't let go of? Something you do, some activity you hold to that you can't just let go of because of grace without measure. So why wouldn't we be liberated to give and serve in that same grace without measure? Why would we allow ourselves to let our grace be a hindrance to weaker believers and to the lost? I mean, could, you could be like David, the wicked man who spoke like Belial and said, well, this blessing is for me and it's for me alone. Or you can use your liberty to be a blessing to others. Why would you ever let what you eat or what you drink or what you wear or what you watch or what you read or your politics or any personal or or cultural liberty that you exercise come in conflict with the conscience of a weaker brother and sister in Christ? Why would you ever let that happen? Listen, God's grace is not a free pass for us to frolic in our liberties. God's grace is permission to sacrifice for others. That's what it is. Romans 12.10 says this, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Philippians 2.4 says this, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, by the way. I mean, what gain was there for Jesus in coming to this earth and dying? I mean, that was a rough go. I mean, so rough that in the garden he prayed to the Lord and said, God, if there is any other way. But there wasn't. Man, and he gave up everything to show you affection. What liberty was there for Jesus? (laughs) What, I mean, the creator of all things whose very breath formed the stars, what liberty was there for him in the restrictions of a fleshly body that was beat and manhandled and hung on a cross, what liberty, what liberty did he get to exercise that day? No, no. Look every man also on the things of others. So this idea is going to 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 take clear form here in the following verses. But Paul makes this really practical for the Corinthians and he's gonna make it really practical for us too. So verse 25, here we go. So this is what he says to them. Okay, now he's speaking very directly. He's saying, "Here's, here's your instruction based on these principles that I'm putting in front of you. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles. Now, okay, that, that word shambles is not referring to one of the guy's Kai houses. Okay? Though, though it's probably a really great nickname for someone's, some group of guy's house. Okay, the shambles. No, 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 this is referring to like an outdoor market where someone would go and, and buy meat. Where they'd go buy meat, they'd take it home and, and they'd cook it and they'd eat it, all right? 
Now, in these markets, it was common for the, the merchants to sell meat that had been offered, that had been offered in the temple in, in false worship to the pagan gods, right? And so they would take that meat, and, you know, I, I suppose there was, no, like, there was no, like, kosher or organic labels on things back then. So there was, no, there was no label that said, oh, yeah, by the way, offered to Apollo, okay? Um, so what he's saying here is that whatsoever is sold in the shambles, listen, that eat. Just eat it. Asking no question for conscience sake. Do you see, see how this is circumstantial? See how Paul's making this easy for us? Because he's saying, look, there's, there's some circumstantial things at work here. This liberty thing, it's flexible. That eat asking no question for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's. <laughs> That's the reason. Like, because it is just meat. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not, here's another circumstance. If any, if any of them that believe not bid you to a feast at their house. Okay, come over to our house. We're going to have dinner. And ye be disposed to go. Whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience sake. So don't meddle. Okay? Was this, uh, was this uh, offered to uh, Apollo? Because if so, I, I, cannot, I cannot partake. Now, what, so what he's saying is, look, don't ask any questions. Live life. Don't be, we- don't be legalistic and weird. Don't live life in a box. Okay? I've given you some flexibility. So, so listen, in other words, don't be superstitious. Don't be weird about it. Don't be legalistic. Whatsoever is set before you, eat. Whatever you, whatever you pick up at the grocery store, eat without any questions. So Paul is giving you permission to not be legalistic. You don't need to live your life walking on eggshells egg expecting to know the unknowable. Be at peace. Be at peace. And you'll probably make mistakes along the way. You probably won't do things perfectly because you're not perfect. But be at peace. But here's the deal. If we are knowingly in a circumstance where our actions and behaviors may harm the conscience of a weaker believer or a lost person, then we must abstain. We must put our liberties aside. Here's Paul's example. Verse 28. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols... Then eat not for his conscience, for his sake, for his conscience that showed it, and and for so it says, and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. <laughs> not for your conscience, but for the conscience of the other person. So if your liberty to eat meat offered to idols becomes a stumbling block, a hindrance, or a failure in testimony to another person saved or unsaved, then that activity isn't worth it. And that's the right language. That's the right language. It's not worth it. Not should you or should you not. Just listen. It's not worth it. Why? Because you prefer other people over yourself. So show some stinking self-control. There is, listen to me. 
You've been blessed with all blessings in heavenly places. Your inheritance is in Christ, and you even right now are seated in heavenly places. You have everything you could ever want, everything you could ever need. So prefer others over yourself. In other words, the measurement for whether or not to do something does not lie with your conscience or conviction alone, but it is subject to the bias of the people you surround yourself with. So here's our next key point. They're longer key points. I apologize. I like to keep my key points brief, but this week they were long. I couldn't help it. So here's the deal. You ready to write? Your freedom of conscience, your freedom of conscience, which has been liberated. Death, where is thy sting? Sin no more. No more law. No more bound to the law. Your freedom of conscience is secondary to the weakness of conscience and convictions of those that surround you. You're, You're to be submitted Now, you may be saying to yourself, well, that seems unfair. Now, Paul anticipated your selfish selfish hesitance. He anticipated that. Oh, that's unfair. Uh, But I like to do X, Y, Z. I like to act in such, such a way. I like to say these things. I like to do these things. I like to behave in this way. That's what I like to do. Verse 29. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? Okay, he's asking that question for you. Why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? I mean, if I could just give thanks to the Lord, I mean, isn't that good enough? Why do I have to be bound up and caught up in what other people think about me? Okay, so it's unfair. You're right. It's unfair. It's 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 unfair. But so was the cross. So what? If people judge you, they're going to. So what if they do? You throw a fit about it? What you could choose to do is be what the Bible refers to as blameless. Which means you live in such a way that no one can cast blame on you. Now that, look, there's no way around it. That's a life of servanthood. Living in such a way where you have to negotiate other people's bias and their convictions and their conscience and their their weaknesses, living that way, yeah. It's unfair. It's a hard way to live. But you're a servant. You can handle it. You can handle it. I mean, the real question is, what are your motivations in this life? That's the real question. What motivates you? Because that's going to dictate whether or not you get butthurt about this or not. 
What, what's, what, is your, what is your motivation in life? If your motivation is secretly about you, then this is problematic. If your motivations are self-gratifying, then you're always going to be looking for ways for every situation, every circumstance to be about you. Everything will be self-serving. But if you're about Christ stuff, it's not a thing. And Christ went to the cross willingly. He laid his life down. And you should be able to do that too. In a world of selfishness and personal satisfaction, personal expression. Do you guys know how important expression is? Like we all have to look real different, but we all just look like whoever we look at on Instagram. We think we look real different, like we're edgy. We got, you know, we've got our style, personal expression. Now you look, you look like everybody else in the room. In a world of selfishness and personal satisfaction, personal expression, pleasure and enjoyment, what you want to watch, what you want to entertain yourself with, it's all right there. Our culture has trained us to put us first, just like in Corinth. We are obsessed with self-advancement and not with what advances other people. Let's be honest. Some of us, our behavior is just sin, masked in liberty. The truth is, at the end of the day, some of you are just disobeying God and you're calling it liberty. That's what you're doing. So don't lie to yourself and act like it's a liberty when you're just, you're just mocking the God of creation. That's no liberty. But some things in life are just neutral, aren't they? There's some things in life, like eating meat offered to idols. It's just a neutral thing. It's not a big deal. But God's point is laying down your rights and preserving other people's conscience is important. And we have to understand and yield our convictions for our testimony's sake. 1 Corinthians 8.10 says this, For if any man... Any man see thee which hast knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. That's the danger. That's the danger is that you might offend someone and cause them to ultimately refuse Christ to mock him themselves. But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Like if it came down to it, I'd just become a vegetarian. That's what he's saying. I would just quit eating meat if it meant that I could preserve, if I could preserve the conscience of my brother. If I could protect those that are weak. Paul makes this concept very plain in his letter to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty, liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So here's, here's your last key point. God has not given you liberty to indulge yourself. 
He has given you liberty to serve others. That's what this is about. Liberty is not the right to do as we please, but the opportunity to take pleasure in doing what is right. So here's the principle for the mature believer. You guys get that? You guys get that written down? The PDF is online. (laughs) Hallelujah. God has not given you liberty to indulge yourself. He's given you liberty to serve others. So here's the principle, verse 31. Next slide. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Do it all for him. Do it all about him. Make it about him. And in that, you'll find that you can do anything. You can do the impossible, in fact. All to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. That's the goal. That's the objective. So three things for you. You ready? First thing, learn to deny yourself. Learn to deny yourself. Mortify your flesh. Get over you. You, listen, y'all, we're not that special. The things that we want, I know you obsess about those things. I know you obsess about it. I know you think about it. Not that important. Blake, getting a house. Getting a house. I mean, you and your wife, you want to get a house, right? At the end of the day, is that what's important? Absolutely. No. S- some of you want the perfect job. Is that what's important? Is being able to drink a glass of wine in public what's important? This is how, guys, this is how petty it is. This is how petty it is. Our liberties. We have to learn to deny ourselves for the sake of other people's souls. Two, we need to learn to live in such a way that profits other people's spiritual well-being. We have to learn to live proactively to benefit and profit those around us. You don't live for you. You live for the mission and you live for the community of people that you serve. So live for their profit. And third, make salvation and discipleship your priority. And you will naturally behave in a way that edifies rather than jeopardizes souls. Make discipleship and evangelism your whole stinking life and everything you do naturally will be about serving other people and you won't, you won't jeopardize people with your liberty. You won't do it. It just won't happen. I mean, that's the thing that I think has helped me with this concept the most as I've grown in my faith is that I actually love people a lot. And to know that something I did or something I said or way I behaved or held myself might harm someone else cuts me so deep that I just, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. So learn to make souls a priority in your life. 
Now, if you're still struggling to understand how to put others first and you need a good example, we'll look around. I mean, sometimes we need examples, don't we? Like it helps us. Like to, to make changes in our life, we need a model. That's why we do discipleship. We need mentors in our life. Now, if you flip the page real quick to chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. Paul says this immediately following what he just said. He says the following thing. Be ye followers of me even as I also am of Christ. That's the next statement he makes. Hey, listen, y'all, life's hard. We make bad decisions. We do things that are difficult. I know all of this is really hard for you to hear, but it's important for me to say this. As I follow Jesus, follow me, and you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. So who are the people in your life that are mentoring you that have these kinds of things figured out? Who, who, who can you kind of follow as they follow Jesus. Now, you need to follow Jesus, too. And you need to be example to other people. But in the meantime, in the meantime, as you're learning and you're growing, who are the people that you can look to to model these principles for you and, and just do as they do? I'm going to invite the, the worship team up. We're going to close. But as we do, um, here's, here's the question for you. Are there things in your life that you're doing that maybe it's liberty for you? Maybe God's given you permission to fill in the blank, be a long-haired hippie, drink a glass of wine in the privacy of your home, whatever, whatever it is, whatever the thing is that you think is like the liberty that God's given me. Like, I don't, this does not offend my conscience, but you know that it's offended other people. You, you know, you know that you've, you've acted or behaved or even said things that were inappropriate to people that may have been right. Like, you may have been right. Like on paper, you were right. But you said it in such a way that it cut or hurt or offended a weaker brother and sister in Christ. Let's repent of that today. Like let's, let's grab a hold of someone and let's repent before the Lord and pray and say, God, forgive me of that. And then let's look to restore those relationships. Can we do that? Yes. In our invitation, let's commit to restoring relationships where we've made decisions or we've done things that have hurt or offended other people, let's, let's work to restore those relationships in the power of Christ. It might take time. It might not happen overnight. But let's work to that end. And let's trust the Lord with what we can't control. But let's work to restore relationships because God wants to use us in those people's lives. He wants to use your testimony in a way that's befitting to the gospel and to the kingdom of God. Now beyond that, Beyond that, if you know that you need discipleship in your life, like if, if you know that you need someone to help model Christian principles and doctrines for you, that's what discipleship is. And so I want you to come forward and grab a hold of a leader. There'll be leaders that are lined up here, counselors to meet with you. And if you know you need that in your life, you need Christian mentorship, just come up here and they'll help you sign up for the next cost of discipleship class. And they'll pray for your faith. Cool? I love you guys. These are hard topics. I hope, I hope we understand them. Um, I'm, I hope we're coming to a place of understanding these things in the grace and power of Christ. But I love you, and I only, I only want what's God's best for you. And so, like, as a ministry, as a family of people, let's commit ourselves to obey the word of God even when it's difficult to obey.
Let's say yes to God. You'll never regret it, not a day in your life. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we sing to you and as we take time to reflect, to take heed, God, I pray that you would reveal to us the areas where we struggle, areas of failure, areas that we might be tempted to instead of, instead of being a light to this world, we might be a detriment. We might actually, our lives might actually be a detriment to someone else. Lord, I, I pray that you would show us that and then that we would repent not because of the law or because of commandments or because of motivations to look religious or be pious, but because you're our savior and you deserve it that our motivations would be pure. We want to live in your mission and we want to love the people that you've put in our lives. We want to, we want to follow in your will. And so, Lord, I pray that we would, we would hear from you today and that we would respond in a way that causes us to conform our lives to you. We're, we're trusting you at this time. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work to bring people forward, to meet with counselors, to sit and to pray with people, to do whatever they need to do in order to live out what you've called us to, to the best of our abilities. Help us, God. In Christ's name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.